You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you're new to the show, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. Even though we are primarily discussing the third episode of the first season, we will be discussing it in the context of the entire first season. If you have not seen the first 10 episodes of Orphan Black, beware that there are spoilers ahead. And before we start talking about episode three, I wanted to read part of an email I got from from Davia or Davia. I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name correctly. I apologize. But it's watching season one, episode two. I noticed that while everyone is dying around Sarah, they are getting all her salutes and death. While Beth dies and is cremated in episode one, she gets Sarah's funeral and wake. Then Katya dies in episode one, but her burial happens while Sarah is being toasted at the wake. Which is to say that we see Katya's body on screen while the audio is a toast to Sarah from the wake. And I thought that was a really interesting point and very, very true. I mean, it's sort of something I guess I didn't really actively think about watching it, but she's right. Especially the fact that the way that they intercut that scene between Sarah burying Katya's body and the wake, it is, I think, a very deliberate attempt on the show's part to say, hey, this is kind of messed up what's going on right here. This is weirdness going on, right? Right. Again, I having somebody actually say it to you, it's like, oh, <laughs> you're right. That is exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. No, that was a great point. I hadn't really thought about it either. But, but absolutely, I think that was intentional on the show's part to pair those occurrences going on what should be sort of the mourning and the funeral of Sarah and having them be for other people who look exactly like her instead. Right. So thank you for that email. So let's talk about episode three, which is titled Variation Under Nature. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in this episode, and it's sort of hard to figure out where to start with all this because everything's sort of intertwined in this episode. Yeah, I have to say, going back and making myself just watch these one episode at a time, I'm actually glad that I did, that we're doing this, because while I liked watching them all at once, I, I think the show goes does really well as sort of a binge watch. I actually am really appreciating the episodes more in their own right, doing it this way, rather than just sort of thinking of them as a one big storyline. I mean, as much as it holds together as like a 10-hour viewing experience or whatever that ends up boiling down to. But it, it is really good episodically, too. Like, it it works both ways, which I think is is an impressive feat on their part. Definitely. But and, and watching this episode in particular, I was just wowed how effing good this episode is. This is an excellent, excellent episode. I think I tend to think of Orphan Black as more just this really good 10 episode first season, at, you know, because that's how I watched it as. But this episode in particular is like really, really good. I think it's brilliantly written and plotted. Like like Chris mentioned, all of the little storylines are just so intricately interwoven and it's just perfect. And then it ends on that gorgeous, gorgeous shot of Helena at the sink and we see her back with the the wings made out of the razor blade slices and it's just gorgeous and that's where it ends it's it this is a really excellent episode it is both gorgeous and horrifying which is quite the feat also although that seems to be sort of en vogue right now that that sort of uh dichotomy thing going on but yeah i I 
the episode ended and then I immediately got on Twitter to Chris and was just like, my mind was blown all over again. And it's true. I've seen this episode probably at least four times, uh, but it just, man, that last shot particularly just gets me. She did. She sent me an all caps message, which is how we talk about Orphan Black. Generally, there's a lot of all caps when we talk about Orphan Black. It's so all caps worthy, though. (laughs) So I guess let's maybe start talking a bit about where we start with this episode, since it's very much a continuation of where the last episode ends. And we get this very intricately shot scene with the three clones in the one room and Allison walking in and out behind Cosima. And it's a very well done piece of acting and editing. And you just got to admire sort of the, the technical prowess it took to pull that shot off. And what's really interesting, too, about all of the clone scenes is that the camera doesn't hold still during them. So it is extra impressive technologically that they, you know, because a lot of the time, at least when I was growing up, if they had like doubles in a scene, they'd generally have sort of a line in the middle somewhere where they'd be able to make an easy distinction and cut the film together. So it's, it's sort of extra mind-blowing that they're able to put all that stuff together. Yeah, definitely. That the Like I mentioned, the added element of having Allison walk in and out of the room behind Cosima is, is another thing that really sort of ups the level of sort of technical filmmaking that went into creating that scene. You know, we usually think of sort of twin scenes or what have you, where they're using the same actress to play both characters really hearkening back to, you know, the parent trap with Haley Mills, where it was just a line down the middle and you had Haley Mills on one side and they shot the other one and Haley Mills is on the other side. But this this scene is so interactive. Indeed. It also leads into probably one of my favorite moments of the series where we see Sarah just like lose it on on Allison a little bit after she points the gun at Felix. It's one of my favorite moments, I think, of the entire series so far. Well, that's one of those things where you sort of feel like you're really coming to understand fully this relationship. The two episodes before this, we've seen Felix really sort of doing whatever Sarah tells him to, even though he's sort of cautioning her about whatever it is. But at this point, we see that, you know, it's a mutual thing. It's not as one-sided as it maybe seemed in the first two episodes that yes, Sarah is so protective of Felix that she will literally step in front of a gun for him because I mean, obviously that gun is loaded because Allison does not mess around. (laughs) But yeah, that's a really good point. We, we, this is where we see how far Sarah will go to protect people she loves and, and protect, you know, in this instance, it's Felix. And I think we see her, extend that same sort of protectiveness outward and outward to the clones throughout the season. But this is a really good first glimpse of where we see Sarah acting really unselfishly, because in the first two episodes, she's very much into her own scheme and sort of trying to make her plan work out. But we see in this moment, like you mentioned, her that the strength of her bond with Felix. Right. And I mean, to be fair, her stated plan is always about her getting out of there with Kira and Felix, but I think we really finally see it in this moment. I think what makes me sort of also ups that scene is Felix's reaction to Sarah going after Allison. The fact that he's concerned for Allison in that moment. I I think that also sort of ups the intensity and sort of the, the, we kind of get a sense that 
Sarah has done this before. Like she has messed some people up for messing with her brother. And Felix knows that it did not turn out well for those other people. <laughs> Which does make one wonder, what is it exactly that Sarah has a police record for? Record for. <laughs> did, did somebody mess with Felix in some uh-huh. sort of public space and possibly get their ass handed to them afterwards? <laughs> right. Well, he does mention in the first episode, you know, don't snap a towel at me, Bobby. I had a traumatic childhood. So I think definitely he was teased as a kid. So she went off after some some, you know, mean guys on the on the playground, probably. But I think she does mention having some assault charges. Well, that's what <laughs> I'm saying. She's talking to Kasima on the phone. So it's quite possible somebody went after Felix and did not turn out well. For them. <laughs> right. Well, clearly it didn't turn out that well for Sarah either if she got arrested. Yeah. Charges filed against her. Yes. Yeah. We have, you know, the, the fateful muttering of the, the the expression clone club for the first time in this episode and sarah quips that you know well kazima first says you broke the first rule of clone club and she looks at felix and then sarah says what you know don't talk about clone club and kazima doesn't like confirm but you, you, that she got it right right the the first rule of clone club is not to tell anybody correct am i i would assume so are we supposed to assume that okay especially since the whole point is that they're aware that somebody is trying to kill them and that I think I think they did say something later about Beth having suspected that they had monitors. So so logically you wouldn't want to let on that you knew. Okay. Just for some reason the the first time I saw that episode it bugged me that we didn't get a definite Yeah, that is the first rule of Cloak Club. because uh, I don't know. I, I thought Sarah guessed it right, but at the same time it seemed like Kasima's reaction was maybe a little eye rolly. So I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I don't know. I, I just, I assume that's what it is. But until we know more definitively, I'm going to assume that that's what it is. Okay. It makes sense that that's what it is, right? Oh, it totally does. It totally does. And of course, then we get Allison's comment, please don't use the C word. I think that's later, but still. Yeah, Allison mentions at the when they're firing guns together, when she and Sarah are firing guns, please don't use that word. And then Sarah agrees when she's in the fi- in the car with Felix later in that episode, that they do need to find another word for clones when she's talking to Felix. I don't know that they ever really do. I guess Felix shifts to maybe calling them her sisters, but they still do use the C word from time to time. Yes. I think maybe genetic identicals gets floated around once or twice. That's true. That's true. Sarah, I, I do remember Sarah saying that a couple of times. Right. The thing is, that doesn't really roll off the tongue as easily as Clone Club, so... It doesn't. <laughs> so fandom embraced the term Clone Club, which yeah makes sense. The g- genetic identicals club? No, not really. I know. Well, when we were looking for a podcast name, I was trying to make genetic identicals work in there somehow, and it just wouldn't. Because <laughs> somebody had already taken Clone Club. So we've talked about this line in a previous episode, but Kasima has a line in this episode that takes on a new significance upon rewatch. And since we are not a spoiler-free podcast, this is the type of thing we should talk about. So she says to Sarah, after when Sarah's about to leave Allison's house, you have my number. I want the briefcase. Seriously, it's life and death. And in the moment... You think she's talking about the fact that we've seen Katja get killed. Clearly, somebody is hunting them. But given 
what we what we find out later in the season about you know we see Kasima coughing up the blood the way that that Kacha was you start you, you wonder on rewatch is like hmm did Kasima already know she was sick at this point one does wonder and i mean i i buy it either way that she either did know or that she didn't know it could at this point be either answer absolutely it's it's it works either way it's either she's concerned for their safety just because of the, the of the shooting and on rewatch you're like oh but it's 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 even more than that Kasima. you don't even know or you know it's it's that she already knew and this is a little nod to that as well well and i mean the fact that katya was sick too i mean it's entirely possible that they knew that katya was sick and that maybe some of the other clones were sick i mean we really don't know anything else about the other European clones, so... Right. It could have been a matter of knowing that some of them had gotten sick and being concerned that they would get sick, so... So there are, like, three options going on here. <laughs> Just well, to yeah. make it worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like the third option could maybe be lumped in with the second. Like, either... Well, sure. She, she had, like, reasons that she, she would fear their safety that we know of at the moment, both the, the the respiratory illness and the sniper. Or she also knew about this other thing. But anyway, we're going on too long about this, probably. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the bottom line is, is whether or not this time it's personal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we get some bonding between Sarah and Kasima, a little bit of bonding. I think the, the scene between the two of them in the bar is is pretty cute. And we actually get a sense of Kasima being the first person in this whole mess be really warm toward toward Sarah, which is a nice change. Mm-hmm. And then we also get some bonding between Sarah and Allison when they're out shooting shooting the gun. And actually, before I'd- we move on to that, can we talk about the bar scene for a second? Oh, sure. Because here's my question: the bartender walks up and says, "Let me guess, you're the smart one, and you're the wild one." And he says smart one to Kasima and wild one to Sarah. But Sarah at this point is still dressed like Beth. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering why he thinks that Sarah dressed as Beth is the wild one when Kasima's there with like her tattoos and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like her nose yeah. ring and like she's a little more not wild, but you know what I mean? Yeah, but but Sarah projects a lot of attitude. <laughs> Like, she wasn't being Beth in that moment, so she had a lot of attitude going on, even though she wasn't dressed punk rock Sarah. That's true. But I, I'm just, I mean, the guy basically walks up and says this, like, rather than standing there for a second and seeing any yeah. sort of interaction or, or anything. Like, he just immediately says that, and so I'm... Well, if he was the bartender, he probably wasn't far down the, from the bar and could hear them talking, though. Entirely possible. I just, I think that... See, clearly I'm thinking about everything too much, but I think <laughs> I think the second or third time I watched it, I was like, wait a second, why Why did he come why to that is conclusion? He necessarily saying that? Mm. I mean I know I know Kasima has glasses and a book, but that doesn't necessarily I don't know. Never mind. I was gonna say my my main thought about that is, hmm, that bartender's cute. <laughs> so He's very handsome. <laughs> there's a lot of you saying that in this episode, then. I know. There's there's cute boys in this episode. <laughs> and Kasima. So, well, and all the clothes, but I, I have a thing for Kasima. I will really? admit it. Do you? I, I do. I do. <laughs> Such a surprise to everyone who's listened before. 
so we have kind of Kasima and Sarah bonding a little bit, and then we also get get Sarah and Allison not quite bonding, but kind of spending some time together, I guess, at the at the the shooting range. Well, their makeshift shooting range, yeah. Yes, good point. <laughs> and I I find that scene really well. This entire episode, I feel like, is the birth of Soccer Cop, which is the you know the ship name for. For Beth and Allison, because we, we have sort of Allison of the two of them, of Allison and Kasima being the only one really being kind of shaken by Beth's death. And she talks about respecting Beth in this scene and Beth t- teaching her how to shoot. So it's like it's this very strange thing, this this kind of ship that's going on on Tumblr between these two characters, between a character who's dead <laughs> and we've never seen an interaction between that dead character and the currently alive character. I, I'm like, I, I do not begrudge people who ship soccer, soccer cop, but it's just kind of a strange thing to wrap my head around. Yes. It's one of those things. Allison looked sad and a crack ship was born. Mm-hmm. Though I actually would be interested to see a flashback with, with Allison and Beth in it. I'd love to get Beth flashbacks because we learn such little bits and pieces of her life i really would like to see her on screen a little bit more personally i don't know if we'll get them but i wouldn't mind them it would be interesting to see what clone club looked like before sarah showed up so i definitely wouldn't call what sarah and helena do bonding but we do get to meet another clone in this episode indeed we do oh helena that's quite an entrance that Helena makes. She's pretty terrifying right off the bat. Like, I knew it was going to be another Tatiana Maslany just because they were going to such lengths to not show the person's face. But it's still pretty terrifying when when you do see her. Well, and I think the fact that they have the phone call from earlier in the episode and they use a voice changer thing on it. But you can tell that it's a woman's voice. So, of course, you're sort of already assuming that, oh, it's another Tatiana Maslany. Or at least you you might be. I don't know. But my point being that you're, it's so, sort of already in your mind that, you know, whoever it is that this, this shadowy presence, shadowy murderous presence is probably another Tatiana Maslany. And so, of course, they go into the apartment building. And it's pretty creepy in the apartment building. There's stuff written on the walls. That's never a good sign. But yeah, like, and Bible, Bible verses, verses never a good sign. And there's the the other information about clones stuck in the Bible. So of course they know they've found the person they're looking for, and then we see the gun in the window, or at least we see Sarah seeing the gun in the window and sort of heroically shoving art out of the way, which I think is Further evidence of of Sarah really actually being a decent person. (laughs) Right. She's not just completely in it for herself. She does have heart. You know, she she, she doesn't want to see somebody get killed. Right. She is actually protective of the people who... I'd say she's protective of the people she cares about and protective of the people who are protective of her. Right. Do we think that's fair to say? Yes. Yeah. So Helena makes this entrance and... Like I said, I was expecting it to be another Tatiana Maslany, and and when we see her, I assumed clone, but I don't know. What did, what did you think, Chris? Did you consider for a moment that maybe she might be the original? 
I don't think I ever really even considered the concept of the original until Helena brings it up. Okay. I just wasn't thinking about it. I'm still iffy on the subject of the original, but but that's a subject for another podcast. <laughs> right. But the fact that it that it is another Tatiana Maslany, who I think most of the audience assumes is another clone, because at this point, like you said, why would you think otherwise? They haven't brought up the idea of the original yet. It, it is really fascinating to consider why would she be killing all of her clones of her of the other clones? So it's it's definitely a really a really good plot twist. Very. Because like it was interesting just in and of itself thinking that the clones were being hunted, but to realize they're being hunted by another clone. Whoa! <laughs> Mind and blown. it's a clone who doesn't look like the other clones. I think is sort of adds another layer of messing with your mind mm-hmm. to the whole situation. Because even though Katya had red hair, I, I don't think she looks as different from the other clones as as Helena does. Helena looks really different from the other clones. Plus, there's that whole layer of unhingedness. Psychopathy, yeah. <laughs> so when Helena calls in to, to Art to give him the tip about Allenside Park, we hear her talking on the phone with, you know, the, the voice change app. And I, I didn't really think about it before, but what she says on the phone to them uh, when Art asks, you know, who was the woman she killed – she replies, she was just one of a few, unfit for family, horse glue. And on this rewatch, it struck me how much what Helena says kind of mirrors the clone club riddle, where, where they say to each other, just one, I'm a few, no family, two, who am I? Indeed. And I, I don't know about you, but I keep puzzling over Helena's statement. I mean, just one of a few, that makes enough sense. But unfit for family, horse glue, like, I guess it's one of those things that the further we get into this storyline with Helena, the more sense that makes just because we find out that she's been told all these things by Tomas or mm-hmm. whoever, whichever Prolethians have been shaping her psychologically. But it's sort of a, an interesting thing to think about, this unfit for family. Horse glue certainly speaks to her mindset. Indeed terrifying terrifying mindset (laughs) and and already on her first appearance i feel like helena gets some of the best lines in the episode where she calls sarah dirty little copy cop (laughs) and then and then i like when she doesn't doesn't kill sarah and says not yet not beth and then runs away (laughs) it's so dramatic (laughs) i love it (laughs) indeed and she runs away okay but like Sarah stabs her with rebar, like, not a little bit, like, a lot. Stabs her with rebar, and then Lena's kind of like, whatever, and she runs off, hops on her motorcycle, and rides away with the rebar still in her side. Yeah, because Helena's pretty, pretty badass. We had our friend Sally on in an episode where we talked about sort of the science behind cloning, and we, we did sort of wonder in that episode if... We see Kara have sort of miracle healing powers later in the season, which makes us wonder if Sarah and Helena might have been modified to have super special healing powers because, yeah, she should not be able to be stabbed by rebar and then like right off as if whatever. That that probably would not happen to an ordinary person. And speaking of Sally, if you haven't yet, go read Sally's comment on 
the episode that she was on, the cloning episode, she left a comment in the comment section, and I thought it was really, really interesting. Further about potentially why Sarah and Helena, and therefore Kira, may have superhuman healing abilities. So heads up, everybody. Go go check that out if you haven't yet. So as far as Sarah pretending to be Beth, we see in this episode, she gets reinstated. So now she's not just having to fake being Beth. She's also having to fake being a cop. And as we see in this episode, she's not so great at it. She, <laughs> she has some difficulties. Well, because I think it sort of emphasizes the fact that Sarah's really good at reading people or reading reactions to things. So she can sort of fake her way through with people, but you kind of can't fake your way through procedure. <laughs> Which leads leads us to the introduction of Raj. Ah, Raj. I love Raj. He's so adorable. <laughs> Poor gullible Raj. Poor gullible Raj. And, you know, he really just, just saves Sarah in, in so many respects in this episode. But I actually, I do really like that they wrote this in there because Sarah frankly was able to skirt her way, you know, was a was being able to get out of some pretty sticky situations thus far. And, but to have her be able to just fake her way through being a cop, I would not have bought that. So I'm glad to see they had her sort of hit the skids a bit in this episode and had to rely on somebody else to help her through the day to day nonsense of, of what it means to be a police officer. Right. And we've got that great scene of her trying to use the radio in the police car. And, <laughs> and Art just kind of gives her this look like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> are, are you back on the medication? Like, what's... Have you been drinking again, Beth? <laughs> <laughs> because really, how how did you forget so completely what it is you're supposed to do in that in that moment? But it's really funny. I think that's the first time we really get to... It's like the first really humorous moment, I feel like, on Orphan Black. It's been pretty serious thus far. I guess Vic is kind of funny, but... In some of the Felix moments, but yeah. yeah, I think as far as Sarah moments go, yeah. It's it's finally like a nice, funny, humorous, light moment for Sarah. And it really makes me laugh. Oh, it's so great. And then, of course, she gets her gun back with her badge. And she can't figure out how to put the put the holster on. And I love the cop in the bathroom who's given her a hard time about it, but she doesn't get it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, could you help me? Hmm. <laughs> but speaking of the gun, Sarah also doesn't know how to use that. Mm -hmm. Because apparently, while she does have a criminal background, it was never an armed criminal background. So I, I think that's one of those great moments that she, of all places to go for help, she has to go to Allison. And... And I like that that Allison basically has learned how to fire a gun from Beth. So there's this sort of weird like chain of knowledge there that Sarah posing as Beth has sort of inherited the knowledge that Beth had through Allison. Yeah, it's this weird like circle thing because Beth taught Allison and now Allison's having to teach Sarah so that she can pretend to be Beth. Yes. It's sort of twisted and poetic at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that Sarah has to do as Beth is she has to check on the fingerprints, which she's very concerned about. And she calls Kasima about. And we, th we thought we should bring this up because while Orphan Black does have like a scientific consultant, they kind of stretch the truth a bit in regards to the fingerprints because Kasima says, well, she does say like they could 
mat they could be close enough to flag a match. But if you look up some research, usually fingerprints between identical twins are pretty different. Like they they're different enough that they will not be mistaken for each other. Yeah, I think or at least what I've read is that there's sort of a it's a more environmental thing the way fingerprints develop. So yeah, it's not something genetically induced, I guess. So the fingerprints thing was a bit of a stretch. I, I mean, maybe if there was a really, I don't know, like maybe a 65% match or something like that. Maybe if it was a very loose match to Sarah's, we could maybe buy it, but it, it's not terribly likely. So that's that's a bit of a stretch on the show's part, but it's okay. We'll forgive them. <laughs> yes. We will, we will willingly suspend our disbelief in this, in this instance. <laughs> yeah, because the fingerprints match ends up not being an issue in this episode, but I think they do eventually get a match later on in the season. Like, use it to, to pull that up. But I, I kind of wish that maybe they just waited for the facial recognition to come in, because that's really the, you know, the kicker. <laughs> No, it is in this episode that it becomes an issue because the fingerprint match comes in because that was part oh, know, of what but, Sarah but had to. I, I mean that that Sarah gets rid of it in this episode, so it doesn't actually like affect Sarah's. Oh, okay. It doesn't affect Sarah at this moment in time. Okay, is what I'm saying. But you know, because the the facial recognition it takes a while for for Janice Beckwith to reconstruct the face, so right. that doesn't come into play until later. And I wonder if maybe they couldn't have just waited for the reconstruction of the face to cause all the drama well they had to make sarah jump through some hoops in this episode yeah yeah and you wouldn't have gotten as much raj so i would have had one less raj scene (laughs) i could have lived with that (laughs) i'm not sure you could have but okay (laughs) she really likes raj you guys i do he's just got the cutest smile he's so adorable so we, we got another email from from a listener whose name is wilfred and Wilfred basically wrote a treatise in defense of art. He did not address it to anybody in particular, but I know it was addressed to me. (laughs) I forwarded it to you and said, I believe this is for you. you. Yes. (laughs) And thank you, Wilfred, for your email. Chris has said all of those things to me at least twice, if not more. And I just can't do it. He's art's just too inconsistent. And I can't, I can't, I can't let it go. And Art is sort of, I, 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 I like art the least in this episode <laughs> because of the exchange they have when they get back from, from the, from the 1045 where he realizes that, you know, who he thinks is Beth has, was riding with an empty gun. And Sarah has asked him for her money. I think this is now like the second time where he's asked, she's asked for his, her, her money back. And art gives her a hard time about it. For asking for the money he stole from her as if she was being unreasonable. And I'm just like, no, Art, no. <laughs> so, Art, there's it's only up from here with me and Art. So if you're tired of hearing me diss Art, know that the the dissing is about to subside quite substantially. But Art is my is my least favorite in this episode. Sorry, Wilfred. I tried. She did. She did. It was a valiant effort, but by you both. But I, I just can't get there. Just can't get there. I'm sorry. Fair enough. Art does apologize at the end of this episode for holding the money over her, but it's too little too late for me, personally. But he does apologize. I will give him that. Better than nothing, right? 
So Paul pops back up in this episode just for a little scene uh, in which we get Felix's great line, you cannot hide in minimalist furniture. You can't hide in minimalist furniture. That's hard to say. (laughs) And there's that very strange little seduction scene between Paul and Sarah in the foyer while Felix is sort of listening in in the bedroom. And with all the great reaction shots. Yeah. And like that's that. That scene makes me a little uncomfortable just because Sarah's pretty hesitant about it, about what's happening at the beginning. Like, she gets into it once, quite frankly, Paul puts his hand down her jeans, but she's just looking really kind of uncomfortable and a little afraid when he first sort of approaches her. So Mm -hmm. so that scene makes me a little uncomfortable. But Yeah, me too. But at the same time, I do kind of like, I feel like there's a bit of a gender switch going on. You know, we usually see women sort of teasing men sexually on, on television shows and in movies. So I, I do kind of like the fact that they there was some gender reversal going on in that scene. And ultimately, Sarah does kind of get into it. Like, she gets kind of turned on by it. So it, 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 I get okay with it by the, by the end of it. But it does make me uncomfortable when it begins. Right. Well, I think it's sort of interesting that the... They, they actually frame it as sort of a reversal of what we saw in the first episode with them. Yeah. I mean, cause he says he has the line about, you know, how would you like it if I pulled out this hot and cold crap with you or whatever it is that he says? Mm-hmm. And, and then Sarah just trying to think quickly says, well, why don't you? Or whatever it is that she says. And so that's what happens. Things get kind of weird for a second there. <laughs> well, and definitely. I, I, it's hard to say like Paul did something wrong in that moment where Sarah, you know, very blatantly just sort of slept with this guy in the first episode to shut him up so that she, he wouldn't get, get wise of the fact that she was a con artist. So there's, right. there's definitely a bit of kind of turnabout is fair play going on here. Mm-hmm. But I still, I, I feel to be, and maybe I mentioned this. I don't remember if I mentioned this during the, when we talked about the first episode. I'm greatly uncomfortable with the sex scene in the first episode. And so I'm, I'm also kind of uncomfortable about what's going on here, at least in the beginning. Right. No, I'm with you on both counts that it is sort of, because it is, it's blatant manipulation on, in the first episode, especially. That's, I mean, as you say, she, initiated things just to sort of distract him which it did mm-hmm. <laughs> but but yeah it's you know you're watching it and you things just go like that and you're just kind of whoa hold on a second <laughs> but that might just be me i do kind of like though i appreciate the continuity this sounds weird probably but i appreciate the continuity that the top button of of Sarah's jeans is subsequently still unbuttoned after Paul leaves. Like, it takes her a while before she buttons her jeans back up. And for some reason, I appreciate that touch of continuity. <laughs> <laughs> because you're as weird as I am <laughs> and appreciate such things. But I got to say, when I was rewatching the scene that precedes kind of the seduction in the, in the hallway, it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense when I when I try to listen to and follow the dialogue. It kind of doesn't make sense to me because Sarah's trying to distract Paul from going into the closet and finding Felix. And so she says, you know, I was reinstated. And so Paul turns to her and says, well, how do you feel about that in this really strange way? And then she says, like, what are you painting by numbers? And then he said, well, I guess so. And he storms out. And it's like, it's clear kind of from what Sarah is saying 
she's kind of just sort of saying random stuff that she feels like might be appropriate, but she isn't entirely sure what to say. But Paul's responses are really weird to me. Hmm. I mean, I did find that whole exchange pretty odd also. Yeah. That whole scene is just kind of a little weird and maybe purposefully so, but it's, it's, it's kind of just a strange sequence there. Yeah. But of course, I mean, the, the show is sort of distracting you because you're not really thinking that much about what they're saying so much as it is what's going on. Right. It's like, oh, is so. he going to find Felix? Is she going to get him out of the apartment? Yeah. Your, your mind is kind of on other things as well. Then, then try to figure out that she's acting really weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of the underlying theme of really the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. But. So, of course, that scene leads to Felix's probably now infamous phrase of, of Big Dick Paul, which always kind of cracks me up whenever I see it. And I like that you had to explain to your father what he said. <laughs> It wasn't an explanation so much as I, I was watching, I can't remember if it was this episode or if it was the Nerd HQ interview or something, but we were watching one of the things. And for some reason, my dad had not heard what it was that I assume it was Jordan Ferris says. And so my dad turns to me, what What did you just say? Because I think it was the Nerd HQ thing because it got quite a response from the crowd. And that's why he wanted to know what it was that was said. And so... So there was that awkward moment where I, I had to say to my dad, big dick, Paul. <laughs> and then my dad looked kind of uncomfortable and I looked uncomfortable. And <laughs> Anyway. But I was trying to think if Felix nicknames anybody else on the show, because we had him, he nicknames, you know, he dubs Vic, Vic the dick. And now we have him, you know give give Paul the nickname Big Dick Paul. So clearly there's a theme going on here in his nicknames. And so I was Which carries on through his into, decor. I was gonna say into his paintings, his paintings and his yes. decor. And can you think of if are there any other characters that Felix gives a nickname to? And and does it have does it involve the word dick? I'm just curious. Um I don't think there are nicknames necessarily, but he does refer to Delphine as being willowy. Remember? I don't. In episode 10, he opens the door to find Delphine. And and, and he says, now I get it. He, yeah. He, right. And it, it's Delphine. And she's, she's got, got baggage. baggage. Mm-hmm. But, then, but then he says, you're lucky Sarah's not here. She'd kick your willowy ass, <laughs> is what he says. <laughs> kick your willowy ass. So do you not remember that? I don't. I don't. Well, so that might be Felix's extent of, of nicknames, but I, I do find it interesting that... Uh, like we said, there's there's a theme to his nicknames as is, you know, a theme to his decor and his paintings. And it's the same one. <laughs> subtle. Very Orphan subtle. Black creative team. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a couple of really uh, great sort of Felix um, moment in this episode. There's not like a whole lot of on-screen Felix time in this episode. He looks great, though. I always think Felix looks really awesome in this episode with his his shirt that is see-through kind of right over in between the near the buttons i think jordan varis looks really good it's like a net mesh situation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i think jordan varis looks really really fabulous in this episode he does pull it off he does well and felix he changes his hairstyle a lot and there are some hairstyles i like better than others but he's he really i like the outfit plus the hairstyle in this episode it's he looks good it's it's stephanie's shallow hour <laughs> <laughs> 
there are cute boys and cute girls on this show. I can't help it. Okay. <laughs> so we have we have Felix who is sent over to be the babysitter for Allison's kids. And you know, he shows up <laughs> looking very urban and he you know asking the little like I think he asks um Gemma, does your does your daddy have a drinks trolley? And you think, oh, he's going to be a horrible babysitter. But then he turns out to just be a fantastic babysitter and the kids love him. <laughs> no, Felix, don't leave. <laughs> Can Felix spend the night? <laughs> <laughs> and his reaction, you know, my work here is done. It implies that, you know, this is this is not the first time that this has happened to him. <laughs> well, he's got to, you know, mess up Allison's little suburban life there a little Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense. He would be good with kids. He's very sweet with Kira. But at the same time, you know, he just looks so out of place in that suburban home. And it's it's always kind of fun to see how well he kind of messed with Allison's perfect little perfect little family. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarah, you know, she this this episode just feels like it's it's kind of three different shows all crammed into one because we've got the clone stuff going on. So you got your science fiction stuff. And then there's a lot of procedural cop stuff in the show so you got your crime drama and then you have the sort of the regular drama going on with with sarah having some personal growth in this episode i'd say i'd say family drama yeah family drama there you go because we get the the scene between sarah and mrs s by the lake and i'm trying to this is the first time we've seen them speak in person right yes i believe so because we saw her saw them talking over the phone and then we saw felix and mrs s in the last episode Right. So this is the first time we've seen Sarah and Mrs. S talk in person. And it's a very interesting, it's a brief scene, but it's an interesting one. And I like that the writers chose to put in Mrs. S, Mrs. S as a bird watcher, like somebody who knows birds. And they demonstrate that this was something that she tried to teach Sarah because she gives her the binoculars and tells her to identify a bird. And I like that they picked that particular activity because to to watch birds, you know, you, you, you need to be you need to have patience. You need to be quiet. You need to be still. And these are things that Sarah's not good at. <laughs> um, Which is reflected so in the dialogue, too, because she points it, out one of the species of birds and how it's it's a migratory just passing bird. Through. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it was an excellent kind of activity to have them be doing to sort of like recall from their past to demonstrate the the conflict between the two of them. And what's further, and this just occurred to me, you know, there's sort of a a recurring Darwin theme through this show. Mm -hmm. All all the episode names are chapters in Origin of Species, I believe. Right. But of course, Darwin, I think, sort of started out with observing the species of pigeons. So there's like a little bit of a Darwin tie in there, too. And isn't Cosima reading yes. Origin and Species at the bar? Yes, she is. Yeah. So we get we get a direct Darwin reference and then a more subtle Darwin reference in this episode, I think. If it is a Darwin reference, but I would be surprised if it's not related at all. Mm-hmm. And then of course we we see some we we have several moments in this episode where we get a sense of, hey, Sarah's not a horrible person. You know, she she protects she protects Felix, she protects Art, and then ultimately sort of the climax of her personal growth in this episode is where she decides not to kidnap Kira and take the money. And I kind of 
wonder. She kind of talks it up to the fact that she sees Helena, and that's why she can't steal the money. Even though earlier in the episode she said, oh no, nothing's changed, even though I now know it's Allison's money. You know, heck with them, we're taking it. I kind of wonder if she could have gotten through with it even then. Yeah, well, I, I really got the sense that when she was talking to Allison, she was starting to change her mind at that point. Me too. I think they did a good job of showing it as a process through the episode that Sarah was really reconsidering. Especially since, I mean, earlier there had been a scene between Sarah and Felix talking about how every orphan's, you know, dream was to find their family. And I think, you know, whether or not she likes it, she sort of is coming to the realization that she has found family. And it certainly wasn't she was what she was expecting, but... You know, it's what she's got. And I think there's sort of a lot of that stuff sort of at play here, too. Whether or not she's really necessarily thinking about it that way, I think it's still affecting the situation. I also think there's a really nice little moment between Felix and Sarah in this episode where Felix says, you know, he's in the car with her. She, he's ridden along on Sarah's big plan to kidnap Kira and then leave town. But at the same time, the, you know, he, he asks her, are you sure you want to do this? And then when she comes back and decides not to do it, he he lets know that he thought it was a bad idea to begin with. But at the same time, he still went there. He was still like her, her sidekick and somebody that she could depend on, even though he didn't agree with what she was doing. Which really is what we've seen from them thus far, is that Felix may not agree with it, but he'll go along with Sarah, whatever it is she's doing as as a really sort of amazingly supportive thing to do. And I think maybe Felix knew that she wouldn't really do it. Maybe. And was just going to be there as sort of like support for when she decided not to. <laughs> yeah, I, I got the sense when they were in Beth's apartment that he he suspected she wouldn't be able to go through with it. Which is why he asked her about, you know, taking the money, even though now she knew it was Allison's. Yep. Good old Felix. Probably more supportive than any person in reality would ever be. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know your thoughts about variation under nature. Were there any new elements to the to the episode that sort of popped out at you in a different way when you watched it a, a second or third or fourth or however many time? We would love to hear your ideas. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at TatianaIsEveryone.com. You can send us an email, like Wilfred and Davia did, thank you to both of them, to feedback at TatianaIsEveryone.com, or you can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. And you can also catch us on Twitter at TIE Podcast. As a reminder, the podcast is available for subscription and download on iTunes. And if you're an iTunes user, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating or a review. And this week, Allison's Pink Hearing Protectors and the Drinks Trolley were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.